This morning we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, looking at verses 15 through 21. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 21 as we're going through the book of Ephesians. If you'd read with me from verse 15 down to verse 23. Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer to be able to be in relationship with you and commune with you. We desire to, to grow in our prayer life. Lord, we do desire these things in our lives that, that we see in this paragraph, that we would grow in the knowledge of you, that we would understand the hope of your calling and, and your power in our lives. So Lord, we bl- pray for your blessing upon this time, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Paul has spent the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 looking at our identity in Christ, our position in Christ. He's going to get back to that in chapter 2. It's the theme of the first three chapters, who we are in Christ, our true identity. But he pauses here in verse 15 and he says, I'm praying for the church of Ephesus and the things that he's just taught, that he's just written, he's now praying them in. And many times when it comes to God's grace and his love, it's prayer that causes it to go from our heads to our hearts. Maybe you know some that you, you love and you care for and say, you know, one of the best things that I can be doing is to be praying for them that God's love would really resonate in their hearts and in their lives, that they would experience their true identity in Christ. Maybe you, like me, find uh, prayer difficult sometimes. Do you ever get to that place where you're praying and you're, what exactly do, do I pray for this person? And then you maybe start praying and easily get, get distracted. And we can take this paragraph and really commit it to memory, just the, these key aspects, these few things, and then pray through it for our spouse, for, for our kids, for our parents, our, our siblings, for our church family, uh, the, the body of Christ. Because this is really how the truth of God many times goes from our head uh, to our hearts. So let's look in verse 15. I we'll hope to make it practical. Hope that this is something this morning you can take home with you and, and add to your prayer life. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, 
Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter of Ephesians. We know that from chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And he takes this opportunity to encourage them. And he says, I've heard of your faith. I've, I've heard of your love. That's what's resounding from the church of Ephesus, that they're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and they're loving believers. What a great thing to have resound from your life, to resound from uh, your, your church fellowship. There's things that are being heard about our lives, aren't they? You know, what do our families say about us? What do our coworkers and our neighbors say? What do other believers hear as a testimony of our lives? Oh man, he's sure grouchy. <laughs> he's, he's Groucho Marx, you know. He, I see Eric coming from a mile away. Or, or do they have this testimony of hearing, well, we trust the Lord. We have faith in Christ for salvation and the things that, that we're going through. And we're loving believers. We're, we're loving brothers and sisters in, in Christ. What is it that resounds from this fellowship? You know, we have a, a testimony in this city. What, what do uh, the businesses around us, what, is, what does Walmart think here? Grocery only Walmart or the gas station that's right in front of us. Village Inn, the manager of Village Inn. Oh, those guys always steal my parking spots, right? You know, what, what's our testimony to, to, to Village Inn? You know, as, as a church, what, what message is getting out of, of Jesus Christ? What, what maybe as we reach out outside of our city, what testimony is going out? And Paul says, Church of Ephesus, I hear of your faith. I hear of your love. It's simple, but man, that, that's a great compliment. If that were said of our lives, if that were said of our church, it is a wonderful compliment. And Paul says, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul is thankful for the church of Ephesus. And this is a theme in Paul's heart and his life, is he loves the body of Christ and he's thankful for the body of Christ. Even though he has to sort out a lot of difficult things with believers as a pastor and as an apostle, and this man who God used to start so many churches, it was not always easy, but he never lost his heart of gratitude towards believers. I think this is important in our lives as well, is how do we see the body of Christ, and are we thankful for believers? Are we able to say, you know, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're my brother and sister in Christ. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, and also to make mention of you in my prayers. It had to be encouraging for the church to receive this from Paul and go, man, I'm being prayed for by the Apostle Paul. The prayer life of Paul was very important for him. It was a priority. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that he put off to the side, but he made it a point to pray for the churches that, that he served. In the majority of his letters, he includes some aspect of prayer for uh, these, these churches. How about us? Do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we see an amazing gift that God has given to us in prayer? Christ died, he rose again, so that we can come to the very throne room of God to ask for grace and help in in time of need. Do we believe that God hears our prayers, that God responds to our prayers? I want to encourage you, if if you have been praying for someone faithfully, don't, don't give up. If you say, man, I feel like I could, could grow in, in my, my prayer life, that then absolutely. Take, take this paragraph, make it your own, make it part of, of your prayer life. 
I know my mom and my dad are, are just tremendous uh, prayer warriors. And, and growing up, I knew my mom uh, and my dad were praying, praying for me. And to see God answer those prayers uh, in my life didn't always have a, a heart for, for Christ. And my mom's prayers won out. <laughs> you know, I know that part of what God has done and is doing in my life is an answer to uh, my mom's prayers. And so, so keep praying. You know, a lot of times when we think of as a parent or a grandparent, uh, there's so many techniques of parenting, isn't there? You know, there's, there's so many, well, do this, don't, don't, don't do that, use, use love and logic and dare to discipline and all these things that have been written. And there's great value to all, all of those things, and they're great tools. But you know what? Don't forget the power of prayer. You know, don't forget that when we're going to God in prayer, we're giving God the opportunity to do something that, that only he can do. So Paul, he says, you know, prayer, it's, it's a priority. I'm going to be praying for the church of Ephesus. I'm praying that this would be the connection, you know, that they would really understand their identity in Christ. I'm praying for you. And this is specifically what he prayed. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So if you're taking notes, write this down, know him. This is the first thing that Paul prays for for the church of Ephesus is that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. We've talked about this a lot as a church because it comes up in scripture. What is wisdom? It's knowledge applied. It's not enough to know it, but it's to apply it. So Paul is praying that they would have knowledge of Jesus and be able to apply it to their life. This is what I know Jesus to be, and I'm applying it to my life. Revelation is to uncover, to discover, that they would have greater understanding of who Jesus is. And you'd almost think, if you just read verse 17, that Paul is praying for unbelievers. But these are not unbelievers. In fact, the church of Ephesus seems healthy. The church of Ephesus has faith and love. The, the things that God uh, longs for, they're doing well, but yet Paul is praying that they could have greater understanding of who Jesus is. This word knowledge in the Greek, it's epinosis, and it means knowledge that comes from personal recognition or personal experience. And epinosis is so much more important and it's such a, a more valuable tool and way of, of learning. You could go watch some YouTube videos and read some manuals on how to change your brakes on your vehicle. And you have some knowledge of that, but you really don't have epinosis until you go out and change the brakes on your vehicle. Get out in the garage and go through that, that process. You know, if you're single, you've never been married, you can have knowledge about, about marriage, but until you are married, you don't have epinosis of marriage. Amen? You know, like premarital is kind of a joke, a little bit. You know, premarital counseling. It, we do premarital counseling here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, but it, we probably should say, hey, let's do six section, sessions of premarital and then 12 sessions of postmarital. You know, because you really, in premarital, you're kind of sitting there, deer in headlights, saying, okay, I'm going to have to take this for, for granted until. Till, till I'm married. There's a huge difference with, with epinosis and experiencing it. And the same is true with Jesus. You, you can hear about Jesus and have knowledge of Jesus, but then to really personally encounter Christ. And I was thinking about this and, and praying about this section of scripture, 
and it really came open to me when I began to think about the disciples' knowledge of Christ. So how did the, the disciples know Jesus? It was epinosis. They really experienced the reality of Christ in their life. Jesus sent them on a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, right into a storm. And the disciples, to their credit, continue rowing into the storm against the wind all night long. Jesus comes walking upon the water. They think it's a ghost. They cry out to Christ, and Jesus calms the storm. And we're told, after Christ calms the storm, that they worshiped him. Epinosis. This is knowledge of Christ. All of a sudden, their understanding of Jesus was greater. Did they have knowledge of Jesus prior? Yes. But was it greater after that? Absolutely. And hopefully that's what's happening in our lives. We go through a storm. We go through a difficulty. Christ is faithful. And we respond with a greater understanding of, of who Jesus is. You think of the disciples coming to Lazarus' tomb. Jesus raises him from the dead. What kind of knowledge did they have of Jesus after that point? Christ dying upon the cross, raising from the dead, being able to, to touch Christ in his resurrected body. And this is what we want to be praying for, for those that we love, that they would know him, that they would have greater personal understanding of who Jesus is. In John 17, Jesus told us what eternal life is. He said, this is eternal life, to know him, to know the Father, and to know Jesus. It's the same Greek word, epinosis. What are we going to be doing for all of eternity? We're going to be getting to know God in a greater level, and that begins now. You want to start experiencing eternal life now? Get to know Christ in a greater way. The last thing that we have from Peter, his last recorded words in 2 Peter, he says, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. This is his prayer. He's saying, make sure you continue to grow in your knowledge of Christ. What if our kids, grandkids, friends, family members, what if they know a lot of things, but they don't know Jesus in this way? What, what, what value is it? For us, as we move forward in our lives, even as believers, what value is it if we gain knowledge in all these other things, but we don't gain knowledge in Christ? This is the Christian life. This is what everything flows in and out of. What would be a tremendous year in Rocky Mountain Calvary 2018? At the end of the year, if we knew Christ in a greater way, that we had greater knowledge of who Jesus is. And Paul's praying for this. He knows part of this only happens through prayer. And so please be praying for this as a, as a church family, to know him in a greater way. You might be saying, well, how do I grow in the knowledge of God? Pursue it through prayer. Pursue it through time in God's word. Pursue it through, through worship. As we spend time with the Lord, that's how the knowledge of the Lord works. Look for Christ in your daily life. You know, what is Jesus teaching you as you're going to work and at work and at home with your kids and all of the joys and trials that come through life? So what's the first thing we pray for? Know him. Let's say that out loud. One, two, three. Know him. I know that's a lot of work on a snowy, sunny morning. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, speaking of your inner person, your heart, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, enlightened enlightened by the Lord, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We want to read carefully here. It's the hope of who's calling? Jesus. So this is the second thing to write down, to pray for. Know what is the hope of, of his calling. Jesus had a calling from the Father to die upon the cross, to pay the price for sin. And in the midst of that suffering, he had hope. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that Jesus was looking forward to? What was the the hope of his calling? And this is the prayer request, that we would understand the hope of, of his calling. He was looking forward to being reunited with the Father in glory. Absolutely. Doing exactly what the Father asked him to do in obedience, and also looking forward to what the cross would result in, and that's the salvation of us. The inheritance of his bride so that we could belong to Christ and Christ could belong to us. The only way that that could take place is through the crucifixion. So as he's on the cross, this is gonna be worth it. This is gonna be worth it. The joy that is set before me. And this helps us understand how much Jesus loves us. In essence, this part of the prayer is, Lord, help them to know how much you love them. Think about it this way. Let's say you've got a close family member, a close friend that you love, 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 and they come to you and they say, look, my, my kidneys are going out. I have kidney failure. If I don't get a kidney transplant, I'm going to die. I can only do dialysis for, for so long. Have you ever seen dialysis? It's an amazing process. There was a point where my brother's uh, kidneys failed where he was in the hospital and got a really bad infection, and I was sitting in the hospital watching him be on, on dialysis. So side note, but the guy that invented it is from Golden, uh, from School of Mines, and he ended up needing dialysis at the, the end of his life. That was my geek out moment right there. That was, that was for free. But it's, it, it's an amazing process, uh, uh, dialysis. To, and so many people kept alive through, through dialysis, but they need a kidney transplant. And they say, would, would you be tested to see if you would give me one of your kidneys? Now that's a serious thing. That's a really good friend if you're going to give, give them one of your kidneys. That's a family member that you really do love because sometimes there's some family members we don't love a lot, right? <laughs> this is a family member that you, you really do love and you say, okay, I, I'm going to get tested. And the tests are, are very detailed with, with the, the blood and, and the, the kidney match and you come back and, and you're a match. You, you can give them your kidney and now you're headed into the surgery. You're about ready to go into anesthesia and lose one of your organs. And what would probably be in your mind? The joy that's set before you. This is going to be worth it because this friend, this family member that I love so much, they're going to have life. They're not going to die. And this is going to allow them to continue to, to do the things that they love and for me to be able to be a part of their life. And how much more for, for Christ? He's despising the shame. He's taking the punishment for our sin but he's looking forward to the joy that's set before him, the, the hope of, of his calling. And then also, and we go on with this verse, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Number three, know his riches, speaking of Christ's riches. What are the riches of Christ? Tells us the inheritance in the saints. This is mind-blowing to stop and consider. Of all of the things that Jesus could inherit from the Father, what he glories in, what he considers to be his riches, his true value, 
is us, the saints, the believers, the body of Christ, his, his bride. That's how much you mean to the Lord. And Paul's praying for this. I, I hope that they know the inheritance of his riches. We fast forward to Ephesians 5, and it speaks of marriage, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we're going to dive into that in a few weeks and look at the responsibility for husbands. But may we not miss the way Christ loves the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves you. You're his inheritance. He's created all things. All things belong to him, but what he's really desired is us. And a lot of times we don't believe that. We don't, we don't live in that. And that's why Paul's praying for this, that, that the church of Ephesus would know this in a greater way. How would the church of Ephesus maybe change if some light bulbs went on in this way? What if they got greater knowledge of Jesus? How, how, would, the, how would the church change and develop and, and grow? You know, if the light bulb went on of, of how much their love with Christ, how would, how would things change? And the same in our lives, in our church. And as these light bulbs get switched by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit, and we get enlightened in this way, how, how encouraged could we possibly be? In verse 19, I love this. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Fourth thing Paul prays for is know his power. So you may be going through this in your own prayer life. You begin praying, may they know Christ in a greater way. May they know him in in a greater way. May they know the hope of his calling. May they know his riches. May they know his power. Some neat words that are used in verse 19. uh, The Greek word translated into the English word power is dunamis, speaks of dynamite. And then working is energia, which we get the English word energy, that God would give us dynamite power, that he would give us energy. The great thing about God's power here is it's exceeding greatness. You can't even begin to put limits on the power of God, and it's toward us. It's one thing to know God's power. Go, wow, God, you created Pike's Peak. You gave us the snow this morning. You created the the galaxies. You're, you're, You're powerful. But then to believe that God's power is towards me. God's power is something that can come into my life and provide strength. We know the promise of God that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Do you ever go before the Lord and say, God, I've got the weakness. Would you please provide the power? So this is for us to be able to live in and experience the power of God in our lives. The power of God to overcome sin. The power of God to be able to be a witness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you so you shall receive power to be my witness. A lifestyle that can be a testimony of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, we don't have to try to do that in our own strength. We don't have to try to conjure up the strength to do that. That comes through the the power of God in our lives. Maybe one of the most frustrating things is trying to live the Christian life in our own power. Because the commands are way too lofty for us. There's no way that we can do it in and of ourselves. It can only come through God's power. And Paul knows this, and so he's praying. And so you can kind of imagine this. And and those that are on your prayer list, Lord, would, would they experience your power working in their life? 
where they experience you giving them strength to, to overcome and to continue to be able to, to persevere. And now Paul begins to explain the power of God expressed through Jesus Christ in verse 20, which he worked in Christ. God's power worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How does the resurrection of Christ display the power of God? What did Christ overcome in the resurrection? We sang of it just a moment ago. The, the ground began to shake and, and Christ rose, rose from the dead. Well, sin is defeated through the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's power. To where sin no longer has victory over us. The power of sin, the penalty of sin. We're new creations in Christ. Our sin is buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. What if Christ wouldn't have raised from the dead? We're dead in our sins. But because Christ is risen, we're, we're risen. So sin has been defeated. Also, the grave has been defeated at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Christ was placed in a tomb. He was buried so that as the children of God, as believers, we can face every grave, whether someone's cremated or placed in the ground with absolute hope that the grave doesn't have the final word. It is a brutal, brutal process when someone receives the ashes of their loved ones, when someone buries their loved one, and to be able to approach that with hope, to mourn but with hope because Christ is risen so we know that they too have everlasting life. Satan's defeated at the resurrection of Christ as well. If Christ isn't risen, Satan can come to us and say, you're condemned. You have no hope for forgiveness or eternal life. But because Christ is risen, we have an advocate that has defeated Satan. So that's the power of God that can be poured out into our lives. Another expression of Christ's power and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. This is throughout the New Testament that the position of Christ currently is that he's seated next to the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. And every time there's the emphasis of Christ being seated. The only time that we see uh, Christ not being seated is when Stephen is martyred and Stephen has a vision of the throne room of God and of Christ and Jesus is standing in essence saying, come on home, Stephen. Come, come, come on home. I know you're being stoned for, for your love for me. So what's the significance of God's power in Christ being seated? If you have accomplished a really difficult task and you're resting at the end of that, you're expressing something of power. It is done. Oh, you know? Not a good analogy on a snowy day, but maybe it's mowing the yard. And you've got the, the yard mowed and it looks nice and you sit down at the end of that maybe with some iced tea or, or lemonade and put your feet up and ah, it's a, it's a position of, of rest. It's a position of power. I've, I've completed this task. Christ, the work is done. It's finished. So, so he's not there at the throne room working to try to provide salvation. Salvation's already been provided. He's not there stressed out going, man, I've never seen this before. Now there's some political leaders that are absolutely just crazy in the world scene. I mean, what are we gonna do, right? He's seated at the throne. It's a position of rest. It's a position of, of security. 
Christ's position, his power is described in verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. This speaks of Satan in the demonic realm. Christ is far above. He, he has defeated Satan. He has defeated the demonic realm. So we can approach the spiritual battle from a position of victory. That's why God writes to us and says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Submit to God Resist the enemy and he will flee. We're able to resist the enemy in the power of, of God's might. This is the prayer that we would experience God's power to be able to, to resist the enemy and have victory. He's far above all principality and power, might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He's above every name. Every name past, every name present, every name in the future. When the Bible talks about name, the name of Jesus, it's referring to the character and nature of Jesus. It's who he is. When we think of someone's name, it's not just their name, but who they are, what they've accomplished, their, their personality. So what we're expressing about Jesus is he is far greater than anyone else. Amen? So, so what are some names presently that maybe we would consider to be great? Bill Gates, maybe, and his, his accomplishments. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players who, who ever lived. LeBron James. Tom Brady. <laughs> great, great football player, but not very popular here in Colorado, right? So, seems like there's kind of two types of football fans in Colorado right now. There's, there's Broncos and anybody to win but the Patriots, right? That seems to be the, the, the case. You know, what are some great names that, that come to mind uh, from the past? Maybe Winston Churchill or Abe Lincoln or Ronald Reagan or D.L. Moody or, or Corey Tinboom. But Christ is, is far greater. Names that are yet in the future. Now, we believe this in our hearts, but sometimes we don't live this. We put other people's names with or above Christ. It's easy to look to somebody, and they may be great. It may be your spouse. It may be a spiritual leader. It may be a mentor. It may be an author. It may be a teacher. But you know what? They are not Jesus. And we're going to find ourselves in a world of hurt if we put anybody in the caliber of Jesus. So it's important to know this and believe this, but it's even more important to live this. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, you died, you rose, you're God, you're Lord, you're the head of the church, you're the head of my life, so, so I am looking to you for my answers. I'm looking for you to, to be the source. And before long, if we're not careful, we get this mixed up. We, we put other people in this, this category instead of allowing Christ to be above every other name. It's the safest place to be. Every other name is going to let you down, but only Christ is going to fully sustain you. In verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. The Father put all things under Jesus' feet. When Christ returns in his second coming, he's going to come as the conquering king and reign over, over all things. All things are underneath the feet of Jesus. A small example of this is Jesus walking on the water. 
the storm that was threatening the disciples was underneath the feet of Jesus. Whatever we're going through today, it's ultimately underneath the feet of Jesus. Doesn't mean it's always going to turn out the way we want it to, but there's nothing outside of his control. All things are underneath his feet. He's the ultimate authority. So here's the response to his authority. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. So if you're following the flow of this prayer, there's a purpose for knowing Jesus in a greater way. There's a purpose for knowing his love in a greater way. There's a purpose for knowing his power. And the result of knowing that about Jesus is then we invite him to be our head. We respond to him and we go, oh, Christ, you're amazing. I want you to be my head. And we make that decision individually, and we also make it collectively as a body, as, as Rocky Mountain Calvary. And that's our heart as pastors and, and elders, board of elders here at our churches. We want Jesus to have his proper place, amen? We want him to lead this church. We want to be seeking his guidance through his word and through prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, please be my head. The, the head speaks of his authority. The head speaks of him calling the shots. And also in, in our lives personally. Can you say that Jesus is your head? That he's your leader? When we say Jesus is Lord, what does Lord mean? It means master. I've come to understand that, that he calls the shots. I'm the servant. I'm the slave. I don't get to discuss and say, oh, I really want it this way. No, I'm laying down my will to be able to do the, the will of the Father. And this is what Paul is praying for, that it would result in a submission to Jesus Christ being the head. And what a wonderful Savior to be our head. I, this is a great place for us to be when we're surrendered to Christ. When we're not in that place of having the wrestling match, we're, we're imposing our will upon the Lord. And verse 23, which is, is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the knowledge, the love, the power flows into our lives so we could be his body. What an amazing compliment that has been given to us that we're the body of Christ. So we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another and to a lost and, and dying world. That's the purpose of the power. Sometimes I think we miss this in our mindset. We go, Jesus, I want to know you in a greater way. And the cry of our hearts is, I want to know you so that my life's a little bit easier. Jesus, you're so wonderful. I want to know you so my life can be easier. I want to know your love so that my life can be a little bit easier. I want your power so I can overcome sin so my life can be a little bit easier. And God's heart for giving us knowledge, for giving us love, for giving us power is not so that we can be more comfortable. So we can then link arms as a body, love each other, and love a lost and dying world. And if we miss the mission, I don't think we're going to connect with the knowledge. We're not going to connect with the love. We're not going to connect with the power. There's no use for the power. You know, why would God give us his power if we're not going to step out in the mission that he has, has given us to do? And it's a beautiful thing to see God bring the body of Christ together for this purpose of loving one another and loving a lost and dying world. The analogy is obvious with the body that there's diversity, isn't there? The body's not all the same. Could you imagine how dysfunctional 
our physical body would be if it was all thumbs, right? Or all a big toe, or all a knobby knee, right? It's very different. It's very diverse. And so inside of our church family, there's a lot of different gifts, and all of them are so important. And then inside of Colorado Springs, there's a lot of different churches. There's a lot of different worship styles. There's a lot of different styles of teaching. There's a lot of different styles of of reaching out. And that's exactly what God wants. As long as they're holding to the, the word of God and holding to the gospel. If every church looked like Rocky Mountain Calvary, that wouldn't be an effective expression of the body of Christ throughout Colorado Springs. Amen? And God is blessed with so many wonderful churches in and throughout our city. So part of God's love and power flowing through our lives is that we would love the body, love the body, love the body. This body here, but the body of Christ as a whole in the city and throughout, throughout the world. Because if we don't love the body, in essence, we're saying we don't care about the head. Well, what if I, I kind of was speaking to myself and saying, you know what? I really like the head, but I'm not very fond of the right hand. That doesn't make, that wouldn't be very healthy. You'd check me in for counseling, wouldn't you? But sometimes we go, you guys with me? You guys here? Yeah? Sometimes we go, I love Jesus. Man, Jesus is so wonderful, but I just don't like believers. You know, I don't like the hand. You know, that guy drives me nuts, or I don't know about that church over there. And God's heart would be that we would, we would love, love the body. In Psalms 92, it says this. It says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Would you like to bear fruit in old age? Would you like to be fresh and flourishing in old age? My observation of my own life and others, apart from Christ, I do not get more joyful with time right? A lot of elderly people that I meet are very cranky, and they're very upset. They're not, you wouldn't describe them as, man, you are a fresh and flourishing fountain of youth, right? (laughs) But God's promise here in Psalms 92 is you plant yourself in God's house, and you're going to bear fruit in old age. You plant yourself in God's house, and you're going to be fresh and flourishing. And so the knowledge of Christ, the love of Christ, and the power of Christ flows through us to say, you know what, I'm committed to the body. You know, there, there may be a season where God has me at RMC. He may call me to another church. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole. Church with a big C. No matter what, no matter where God takes me, if I move to another city, I am going to plant myself in God's house. I'm going to commit to the body of Christ. Because if I'm planted in God's house and I'm planted with believers, I'm loving what Jesus loves. Jesus loves the body. And through that is going to come fruit in my life and fruit towards the kingdom. And I would encourage you to consider, have you committed yourself to the body of Christ? You know, maybe you've said, I I like Jesus, I love Jesus, but I I don't really like the body. I've been hurt by believers or look at church history, it's a mess. And allow God to to give you heart to plant yourself in the body because I think that it's an exciting time to be in a believer. If there's ever a time where we need to be loving one another, it's right now. And what does it communicate to unbelievers if we're fighting with each other? 
You know, if there's ever a, a time to say, we're going to link arms as be- believers, we're going to love each other, we're going to enter into this mission of reaching out to those that don't know Christ as our Savior, it, it's right now. We're going to head into communion in just a moment, but I want to leave you with this, just on this concept of prayer. It's with Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Is God really responding to our prayers? This is the scene. The Assyrians are attacking Judah. Hezekiah is the king. They don't have the resources to come against the Assyrians. They're threatening. And Hezekiah in his wisdom, this is 2 Kings 19, he comes and he brings this request before the Lord. He, he prays about it. And it says this, God says this to Hezekiah. I'll read it to you. Then Isaiah the prophet the son of Amaz sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you prayed to me against Signapgreb, king of Assyria, I heard. God wasn't going to deliver unless Hezekiah prayed. That's interesting. God was going to say, I'm going to wait for you to cry out to me. Because Hezekiah prayed, God said, I'm going to give the victory. And then you read later on in the chapter, God sends an angel one night and he kills 185 Assyrians. God did what Hezekiah could never do because he prayed. That's why this paragraph is so important. There was a work that God wanted to do in the church of Ephesus that wasn't going to come through Paul's preaching. Yes, his teaching was important, but it was the truth of God's word matched with prayer. And as Paul was praying, he knew that prayer was a very important piece in God's work in the church of Ephesus. The apostles, it tells us that they gave themselves to prayer and the word. So we are committed to the word, but we also need to be committed to prayer. And we pray about the things that we see in the word. Is there a work God wants to do in your family? Is there a work that he wants to do in this church, in this community, if we would pray? if we would cry out to to the Lord, as we see needs in our community and see things happening in our city, lift that up to the Lord in prayer because God responds to prayer. I'll let you figure that out theologically, how God is sovereign, but yet he still responds to prayer. I don't know how that works out in our minds, but I do know that God teaches us to pray and that he responds to prayer and to submit those prayers to his will. Can you go wrong with praying Ephesians chapter one? Can you with confidence say that Ephesians chapter one is the will of God? Yes. What did Jesus tell us? If we pray in his name, he will grant those things to us. That's largely misunderstood. You know, praying for a million dollars is not necessarily the character and nature of Jesus, right? But praying to know him more is to understand his love more is, to experience his power is. And so as we pray those things, we can trust this is along the character and nature of Jesus. But remember the purpose. What's the purpose? To love the body and to love a lost and dying world, to be this full expression of Jesus in a lost and dying world. So let's pray and prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we want to take a moment just to pray in these truths. Lord, would you help us as a church family to to know you, to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. We pray every time that we gather in a home, in a Bible study, here in the sanctuary, in the youth rooms, in the children's ministry, 
Would you be gracious to help us to understand you, Jesus, to really experience you, personal recognition. We pray that we would know your love, that the hope of your calling, your riches, that you see us as your riches, amazing. And that we would experience your power. Even as we take communion today, would we experience your power in our lives so that we could be the healthy body that you desire. Lord, help us to love one another. Lord, give us a heart for those that don't know you. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.